Section 45 of Italy, France, Spain, and Portugal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Story, Volume 5, Italy, France, Spain, and Portugal, edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 45, The Battle of Crecy, 1346, by Sir John Froissart. The English, who were drawn up in three divisions and seated on the ground, on seeing their enemies advance, rose undauntedly up and fell into their ranks. That of the prince was the first to do so, whose archers were formed in the manner of a portcullis or harrow, and the men-at-arms in the rear. The earls of Northampton and Arundel, who commanded the second division, had posted themselves in good order on his wing, to assist and succour the prince if necessary. You must know that these kings, earls, barons and lords of France did not advance in any regular order, but one after the other, or any way most pleasing to themselves. As soon as the king of France came in sight of the English, his blood began to boil, and he cried out to his marshals, Order the Genoese forward, and begin the battle, in the name of God and Saint-Denis. There were about 15,000 Genoese crossbowmen, but they were quite fatigued, having marched on foot that day six leagues, completely armed and with their crossbows. They told the constable they were not in a fit condition to do any great things that day in battle. The Earl of Alençon, hearing this, said, This is what one gets by employing such scoundrels who fall off when there is any need for them. During this time a heavy rain fell, accompanied by thunder and a very terrible eclipse of the sun, and before this rain a great flight of crows hovered in the air over all those battalions, making a loud noise. Shortly afterwards it cleared up and the sun shone very bright, but the Frenchmen had it in their faces and the English in their backs. When the Genoese were somewhat in order and approached the English, they set up a loud shout in order to frighten them, but they remained quite still and did not seem to attend to it. They then set up a second shout and advanced a little forward, but the English never moved. They hooted a third time, advancing with their crossbows presented, and began to shoot. The English archers then advanced one step forward and shot their arrows with such force and quickness that it seemed as if it snowed. When the Genoese felt these arrows which pierced their arms, heads and through their armour, some of them cut the strings of their crossbows, others flung them on the ground, and all turned about and retreated quite discomfited. The French had a fine body of men-at-arms on horseback, richly dressed to support the Genoese. The King of France, seeing them thus fall back, cried out, "'Kill me those scoundrels, for they stop up our road without any reason!' You would then have seen the above-mentioned men-at-arms lay about them, killing all they could of these runaways. The English continued shooting as vigorously and quickly as before. Some of their arrows fell among the horsemen who were sumptuously equipped, and, killing and wounding many, made them caper and fall among the Genoese, so that they were in such confusion they could never rally again. 
In the English army, there were some Cornish and Welshmen on foot who had armed themselves with large knives, these advancing through the ranks of the men-at-arms and archers who made way for them, came upon the French when they were in this danger, and falling upon earls, barons, knights, and squires, slew many, at which the King of England was afterwards much exasperated. The valiant King of Bohemia was slain there. He was called Charles of Luxembourg, for he was the son of the gallant King and Emperor, Henry of Luxembourg. Having heard the order of the battle, he inquired where his son, the Lord Charles, was. His attendants answered that they did not know, but believed he was fighting. The king said to them, Gentlemen, you are all my people, my friends and brethren at arms this day. Therefore, as I am blind, I request of you to lead me so far into the engagement that I may strike one stroke with my sword. The knights replied they would lead him forward, and in order that they might not lose him in the crowd, they fastened all the reins of their horses together and put the king at their head that he might gratify his wish and advance toward the enemy. The Lord Charles of Bohemia, who already signed his name as King of Germany and bore the arms, had come in good order to the engagement, but when he perceived that it was likely to turn out against the French, he departed and I do not well know what road he took. The king, his father, had ridden in among the enemy and made good use of his sword, for he and his companions had fought most gallantly. They had advanced so far that they were all slain, and on the morrow they were found on the ground with their horses all tied together. The Earl of Alençon advanced in regular order upon the English to fight with them, as did the Earl of Flanders in another part. These two lords, with their detachments coasting, as it were, the archers, came to the prince's battalion, where they fought valiantly for a length of time. The king of France was eager to march to the place where he saw their banners displayed, but there was a hedge of archers before him. He had that day made a present of a handsome black horse to Sir John of Hainaut, who had mounted on it a knight of his, called Sir John de Fussel, that bore his banner which horse ran away with him and forced his way through the English army and, when about to return, stumbled and fell into a ditch and severely wounded him. He would have been dead if his page had not followed him round the battalions and found him unable to rise. He had not, however, any other hindrance than from his horse, for the English did not quit the ranks that day to make prisoners. The page alighted and raised him up but he did not return the way he came as he would have found it difficult from the crowd. This battle, which was fought on the Saturday between La Broix and Crécy, was very murderous and cruel. Many gallant deeds of arms were performed that were never known. Toward evening, many knights and squires of the French had lost their masters. They wandered up and down the plain, attacking the English in small parties. They were soon destroyed, for the English had determined that day to give no quarter or hear of ransom from anyone. Early in the day, some French, Germans and Savoyards had broken through the archers of the prince's battalion and had engaged with the men-at-arms, upon which the second battalion came to his aid, and it was time, for otherwise he would have been hard-pressed. The first division, seeing the danger they were in, sent a knight in great haste to the King of England, 
who was posted upon an eminence near a windmill. On the knight's arrival, he said, Sir, the Earl of Warwick, the Lord Reginald Cobham, and the others who were about your son are vigorously attacked by the French, and they entreat that you would come to their assistance with your battalion, for, if their numbers should increase, they fear he will have too much to do. The king replied, Is my son dead? Unhorsed? Or so badly wounded that he cannot support himself? Nothing of the sort, thank God, rejoined the knight. But he is in so hot an engagement that he has great need of your help. The king answered, Now, Sir Thomas, return back to those that sent you, and tell them from me not to send again for me this day, or expect that I shall come, let what will happen, as long as my son has life, and say that I command them to let the boy win his spurs, for I am determined, if it please God, that all the glory and honour of this day shall be given to him and to those into whose care I have entrusted him. The knight returned to his lords and related the king's answer, which mightily encouraged them, and made them repent they had ever sent such a message. When, on the Saturday night, the English heard no more hooting or shouting, nor any more crying out to particular lords or their banners, they looked upon the field as their own, and their enemies as beaten. They made great fires and lighted torches because of the obscurity of the night. King Edward then came down from his post, who all that day had not put on his helmet, and with his whole battalion advanced to the Prince of Wales, whom he embraced in his arms and kissed, and said, Sweet son, God give you good perseverance. You are my son, for most loyally have you acquitted yourself this day. You are worthy to be a sovereign. The prince bowed down very low and humbled himself, giving all the honour to the king his father. End of section 45 This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ulrike Denis